Hey everybody, welcome to episode 130 of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. My name is Kieran, and I have been metal detecting for 30 years. This week, after the madness of chat GPT, we talk about gold and what you should know about gold when metal detecting. So let's get on with the show. This week, we're going to kick off a metallurgy series starting with gold, and we're also going to follow this up with a question for Dr. Detector. But why do a metallurgy series at all? Well, I believe as a metal detectorist, it is important for you to understand the basic characteristics and history of what you're searching for. And because of this, I'm starting this series on metallurgy, but only about metals that are important to us detectorists, such as gold, copper, silver, bronze, iron, and all the allies in between. But of course, we're going to start with gold. Starting with the basics, gold has the chemical symbol of AU and an atomic number of 79. The 79 is important because it's one of the highest atomic numbers of an element that exists in its free elemental state in the wild. It exists as a bright orange-yellow, soft, malleable and ductile metal. This Malleability, in fact, it's the most malleable of all metals, and ductility is why we see gold used heavily in jewellery making. Simply because it can be easily drawn out, shaped into whatever shape required by the smith or the mint. Another property that is important to us as detectorists with gold is that it is a noble element. In fact, it is the most noble of metals. Noble meaning that it's resistive to corrosion. That is why when you're lucky enough to find gold and you dig it out and it pops out in as good a condition as it was when it was dropped, maybe 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Another characteristic that is really important to know about gold is that it's dense, super dense. Being almost identical to tungsten, which is one of the densest metals out there, at 19.3 grams per centimeter cubed, This high density allows gold to easily stratify when agitated amongst other less dense material. This essentially means that it will fall to the bottom of the container. This property is especially useful for gold panning, which I call the original metal detecting. Gold conductivity and resistivity are also properties that are super important to us detectorists. Starting with conductivity. Conductivity is the measure of how easily an element can transmit either heat or electricity. And in gold, it is 4.1 by 10 to the 7 Siemens per meter, right above its nearest neighbor, aluminium, which is 3.77 by 10 to the minus 7 Siemens per meter. And this is why your detector gives a similar signal to aluminium, especially if your detector uses conductivity as part of its VDI processing. This gets compounded even more when looking at resistivity. Resistivity measures how strongly a material resists an electrical current. In gold, this is 2.44 by 10 to the minus 8 ohm meters. And then when you look at aluminium, it is 2.65 by 10 to the minus 8 ohm meters. Again, you can see they sit very close to each other again in the resistivity scale. And that is why it's so important for you to dig all those pull tabs and any aluminium signals full stop. You never know when it's going to be gold. One final property of gold I want to mention is 
is gold's acid resistivity. Obviously, is how resistive it is to acid. With the only common known acid that is able to dissolve gold being aqua regia, which is a mixture of nitric acid and hydrochloric acid, and is used heavily in the gold refining process. So where did all this gold come from and how did it end up on Earth? Well, let's start with how gold is formed. Gold is theorized to have been formed by, wait for it, by supernova nucleosynthesis which is the nuclear synthesis of elements in supernova explosions. <laughs> so gold is essentially formed in supernova nuclear synthesis and also in the collision and collapse of neutron stars. So it really is gold from the heavens. But how did it end up on Earth? Well, there is two theories. Asteroid origin and mantle return. Mantle return is that gold was just there when the Earth was formed in planetesimal sized pieces. And when the Earth was formed and still in, in its liquid state, because it was so dense, it fell to the bottom of the core and formed a big ball at the core of the Earth, which over billions of years got churned up and pushed up to the surface. The other theory is asteroid origin, in which that gold landed on Earth via asteroids hitting the surface. There is evidence for this in the Verde Fort impact site in South Africa, which occurred about 2.2 billion years ago. This is credited with seeding the Wit Water Sands Basin, which has the richest gold deposits on Earth. However, in recent years, there has been some rocks found at the Wit Water Sands Basin that were aged between 750 and 900 million years ago, putting the asteroid impact theory to the test. But as with everything, the reality is probably a mixture of both, in that some of the gold existed there since Earth was formed, and then some of the gold came in through asteroid impact. Either way, it's the richest, densest gold deposit on Earth. Gold normally exists in an alloy with silver called electrum. However, gold is only economically extracted using large opal pit mines, which extract one to five parts per million parts of gold. This production produces 16 tons of CO2 to every one kilo of gold produced. And you might think that's a lot, but when you hear how much CO2 is produced in recycling, which is 53 tons of CO2 produced for every kg of gold recycled, maybe this is why your scrap value of gold is a lot less than what it would be if you had dug it up out of the ground yourself. But why is gold so valuable to us detectorists? Need you ask? Gold has been used to make jewellery, idols for gods, currency as far back as 4600 BC, with the Varna gold artifacts being the earliest examples of such. The earliest documented gold mine was in Egypt in the 12th Egyptian dynasty, as far back as 1900 BC. And if you had listened to my previous episodes on the history of coins, you would know that gold coin production started as far back as 610 BC, in a place called Lydia. This is around the same time as King Midas and around the same time as the legend of the Golden Fleece was born. They believe the legend of the Golden Fleece came from the fact that gold miners at the time would use golden fleeces to sluice or sieve out gold from planar deposits in the region 
So essentially ended up with a golden fleece that was highly valuable at the end of the day. There is no doubt that gold has played a huge part in the creation of civilization. It is responsible for currency, religion. Its rarity and high value is why us detectorists covet it. Right now, gold sits at $62 per gram. And if you ask me, that's good bang for your buck if you can find it when metal detecting. But did you ever wonder what the difference between a metal detector that's specifically designed for gold hunting versus your general metal detector that most of us use today? Well, starting, a gold-specific metal detector is generally designed as a pulse induction machine. This allows it to get deeper and more focused in mineralized soil, which, as you know, heavily mineralized soil is generally where you would go to find gold nuggets and gold flakes. Another important feature of a gold-specific detector is its operating frequency. A detector specifically designed for gold will operate at a very high frequency, in excess of 40 kilohertz, while your normal general metal detector will operate at between 7 to 16 kilohertz. However, with the advent of the simultaneous multi-frequency machines these days, some of those machines go up and in excess of 45 kilohertz. Another factor to consider when looking at a gold-specific detector is that most gold-specific detectors don't rely heavily on discrimination. In fact, they may have a very basic implementation of discrimination, while obviously your general detector will have a higher level implementation of discrimination, allowing you to take it on heavily trashed fields and sites. Generally, if you're hunting for gold, you're going out to areas that don't have this level of trash in situ. So you don't really need discrimination for fear that you would discriminate out some gold. Because remember, it sits right in the middle of that conductivity scale. And finally, another feature that is super important for gold specific detectors is its ability to ground balance and handle mineralized soil. Like I said previously, Gold generally exists in heavy mineralized soil. And of course, if you're out in that environment, you're going to need a metal detector that can combat that mineralization. And gold specific detectors are designed to do this. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't go hunting for gold with a general detector. It just means that you may feel like you're hunting for a gold nugget or for gold flakes with one arm tied behind your back because your general detector is tuned generally. So a bit like this podcast is designed to be general and to appeal to the masses. Whereas if you're going out hunting for gold nuggets, you need a gold specific detector. Anyways, nothing beats the sight of gold popping out of the hole when you're lucky enough to find it. But don't spend too much time doing your gold happy dance because if there's one bit of gold there, there's most definitely going to be another. So keep hunting. Up next, we have a question for the doctor. So we have a question here from Tom in Erie, Pennsylvania. I'll read it out here. I know when we find something of value, we try to return it to the owner whenever possible. But if we get permission to hunt someone's property, and let's say we find a coin worth $2,000, what should happen? Do you offer it to the owner or do you split it with the owner? Yes, it's his property you found it on. But if you didn't find it, he wouldn't find it either. I watch a lot of metal detecting shows and podcasts, and this question never comes up. What are your thoughts, Dr. Detector? Okay, 
First things first, by law, whatever's found on the landowner's property is the property of the landowner, unless there is a finder's keeper's law in your country, be it US, Australia, wherever you are. However, in some countries like Ireland, for example, if it's of archaeological or historical importance, it will become the property of the government straight away. You have no say in the matter. Now, I know it exists salvage laws and stuff like that. We're not talking about this. That's another kettle of fish. We may talk about that at some stage in the future. But right now, we're just talking about the law that pertains to someone digging with permission from a landowner. So essentially, the landowner does not have to split the value of the find with you. That is why it is so important as a metal detectorist that you have that conversation with the landowner before you go out hunting. You might see a lot of people talk about their letter of permission. I myself have one. It's up on the website. I'll include a link down below in the description. I'll go have a look at it. But essentially, it's a flyer that I give out. And on the front of the flyer, it has some information about me locally, about where I'm from, the type of stuff I find, who I am, even mention the podcast. I also state that any finds of value found will be split 50-50 with the landowner and the detectorist. And then on the back, I have a essentially a permission slip where we fill in and the, la the landowner signs giving me permission to detect on their land. This is normally enough to cover you in the event that something of value is found. If you haven't had this conversation with the landowner before you've gone hunting, I'm afraid you may have to just write this down as a bad experience and put it down as a valuable lesson and walk away. That is why I would always say, have this conversation. It's a difficult conversation, Have this, but have this conversation with the landowner before you even take your first swing on the landowner's property. This is why it also makes it super important for you to maintain a happy and healthy relationship with the landowner. I generally give the landowner 100% permission to take whatever they want out of my finds. If something of value is in there, I will point it out and I will say, this is something maybe worth 40 bucks. If you want it, you're more than happy to take it. But generally they will say, no, you're fine. And that's normally fine for everything under $100 or 100 bucks. If it's of something of significant value, something that you have to engage with the authorities on, if it's something that you have to report, you're going to be filling in the form. And where it says finder, you have to put your name in, but you should also put the landowner's name in. And generally what happens then is that if there's a finder's fee issued, the finder's fee will be issued to both you and the landowner via the government. However, like I said previously, if you haven't had this conversation with the landowner before you even took your first swing, you may need to write it off as a valuable lesson learned. So get your permission Get it clear in the landowner's head and your head that if anything of value is found, it's 50-50 down the middle. The last thing you want to happen is the greed-eyed monster wears his ugly head and the landowner decides, well, by, by the letter of the law, I don't have to give you anything. And thanks very much, Kiran. Um, I'll take this $2,000 coin and I will walk off into the sunset. And by the letter of the law, they're right. So the little bit of paper that you have expressing that the landowner has agreed 50-50 in advance of the hunt is so important. You need to get that permission beforehand. 
That's it, guys. If you like this podcast, like and subscribe. Please give me a review on any podcast directory of your choice. Feel free to reach out to me at Kieran at the Metal Detecting Show.com or Dr. Detector at the Metal Detecting Show.com. You can go to the website www.themetaldetectingshow.com as well if you want to check out show notes. If you want to check out my permission slip, I will leave the link down below. But most importantly, guys, get out there. Good luck, eyes down, and happy hunting. We'll chat to you all again.